If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Luke chapter uh, nine. We're gonna get there in a second. We've been in this series called Not a Fan, so if you're kinda jumping in now, let me give you a little bit of a recap. The first week we looked at this idea, this concept of Jesus is looking for more than just fans of him, he's looking for followers. And so he kinda had this DTR, a couple different conversations, you know what DTR stands for, define the relationship, right? You've had DTRs and relationships that you've had, and Jesus from time to time would kinda have this DTR to kinda say, hey, where do you stand when it comes to to being my follower? Are you just a fan, like, and you wear the gear and you're there, or are you really kinda all in? And we talked about that. We talked about this idea that uh, God did away with kinda the pre-qualifications, and maybe we think, hey, I can't really get my spiritual credit score to match up to where God's at, and the truth is, yeah, you can't. Uh, But God, through Jesus, did away with those things in the gospel, and that's the beautiful message of the gospel, is he's made a way for everyone to be his followers if they so choose, and it's everyone's welcome into that. But listen, it's everything. It's everything that you have. There's not like, it's a halfway kind of thing, it's not a 75% kind of thing, it's Jesus is looking for people who will follow after him the best they know how in every single sense of the word. And Brian last week looked at this idea that this is about knowing God. Remember we looked at that Hebrew word yada, which is this idea to know and to be fully known. And Jesus is looking for people who will know him and, and be fully known. That not just the, a fan who stands at the distance and knows a little and a few things about God, but actually enters into a relationship to seek to actually know him better. Uh, one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 1.17. I keep praying that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. Not just know more about him, but actually know him. In, in this connection of to know and to be fully known. And so tonight, we're gonna look at this tension that exists as we go back to this verse that we've been kind of using as the foundational verse for this whole series. Jesus is having this conversation, one of these DTRs kind of thing, and he makes this bold statement. And, and in essence, what he's getting ready to do is to have a contrast between what our world kind of pushes in our direction and kind of the way of the world and what we'll call the way of comfort And Jesus is gonna push back and kinda say, no, I've got a way for us to travel and it's an adventurous travel and following me is an adventure, but it's kinda the way of the cross. And our world kinda pushes against this and says, look at the way of comfort. Now, how many of you like being comfortable? How many of you wish the seats you sat in right now were maybe a little more comfortable? Okay, they're not, we do that so you don't fall asleep. Okay, so. Comfort is something that we crave in our culture. We have ergonomically correct keyboards. How many of you have one of those? Is it really more comfortable? No one said anything. So, (laughs) it's a total waste of your money. Don't get it, I don't recommend it. We just asked 100 people and and they said no. Um, So, we have different things, we crave things. Uh, Amy and I actually just went and bought a brand new mattress because we've had the other one for like the, I don't know, too many years. Um, And uh, we realized we were in a hammock um, but it was our bed, and so we were like, you know, this uh, isn't right, we're not in the jungle, and we should probably get a decent mattress. So we went to the mattress store. I don't know if you have all been to there. They have this place called Mattress Firm. I don't know if you've seen them. Um, they are everywhere. They're like Nikos. I mean, so just, okay, so you go there, and you're looking around for mattresses, right? And you go in, and like, they have the Lamborghini of mattresses that are like $9,000. I, is it worth, worth it? Yeah, 
you're like one of the lightest people here. <laughs> worth it. If it can make me breakfast, it would be worth it. So um, this, this mattress is like the Lamborghini mattress, and then you have all the way down to like the Pinto and, uh, and Fiat version. And so you have these different choices you have, and we have to kind of go around. And it's already weird to lay down on a mattress in front of strangers when you're like test driving the mattresses, and they tell you you can lay there as long as you want. You're kind of like, well, so I often thought, well, if I'm ever tired, maybe that would be a good place to go and take a nap. And how, how long is this really good for? Um, but I don't recommend that. That'd be weird. So we, we finally purchased one, somewhere kind of way down this way. So we purchased one, we get it home, and it's, it's way better than a hammock, let me tell you. Uh, and we really enjoy it. And, and comfort is, is, is not a bad thing, necessarily. Let me, in fact, let me ask you this quiz here. If you could choose between a Tempur-Pedic mattress and just an old set of box springs, what would you choose? Okay, obviously the mattress. If you could choose between your old favorite pair of tennis shoes or wooden clogs, what would you choose? If you said wooden clogs, you're weird. Okay. Uh, if, you cho if you could choose between a weekend at a resort and spa or a camping trip in Yuma in the middle of July in a tent, what would you choose? Well, obviously resort and spa. <laughs> and if, um, yeah, we'll let that go. We actually like comfort. And so we crave comfort, and we live in our culture that kind of pushes us toward comfort. And again, comfort's not necessarily bad. There's nothing necessarily wrong with comfort, but in, it's true in our culture that sometimes when we have a, a pursuit of comfort to such extent that everything from Dr. Scholl's, which I'm not related to, that would be cool if I was, but Dr. Scholl's inserts at the bottom of my feet to the kind of pillow that you have at the top of your head, when you lay yourself down at night. And you can be surrounded by comfort. And here's what we know. In fact, parents, you know this best. Comfort's not a bad thing. But can too much comfort be dangerous? And so as a parent, school's almost out, right? My hunch is you're probably not going to want your child to sit in front of TV for 12 hours a day on the couch eating bonbons. True? Comfortable, really comfortable. In fact, it's a great way to live for an hour at a time. But not so great when you're living there 12 hours a day, and then you make your way up to your $9,000 Tempur-Pedic mattress and lay there through the night. And then you get up and do it again. In fact, too much comfort can actually be detrimental. And as parents, we know that, okay? Too much iPad time is, is not really the best. It's not that it's bad, it's just not the best. And so we want our kids to get outside. We want them to stay active, so we get them involved in things. You know this to be true for yourself, that it's great to take a vacation and to have some comfort and to have some comfort seasons and to have some comfort moments in life, but too much comfort can actually be dangerous. And here's what I think Jesus is gonna be driving to a little bit here. And I think specifically, maybe even to the North American culture, is sometimes because we live in a culture that continually pushes our pursuit of comfort and actually promotes that as something that you should have, that you deserve, and that you should be about. And everything your aim should be about that. That's what our culture kind of pushes us to, just intuitively, behind the scenes. And I think a couple times in these DTRs, Jesus has this 
this way of the cross that he begins to talk about that's, that's subtly different to a people who maybe crave comfort too much, where we spend so much energy around pursuing comfort that even spiritually, we can begin to slide in that direction. And what we're gonna look at tonight is this challenge that Jesus gives us and this invitation that we see in scripture to maybe pursue the way of the cross. And then I wanna get real practical in a couple different ways of what that may mean for you at the end. So here we are, Luke chapter nine. Jesus is having this conversation. We went through it a couple in the first week so you can catch up if you missed that, go back online. And here's the, the key verse that he gets to. In chapter nine, verse 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, Anyone, remember it's open to everyone. If anyone or everyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He may, uh, must turn from your selfish ways. That's another way of saying you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now we looked a couple weeks ago this idea that everyone, but it's everything. That's kind of the bookends of this verse. But tucked right here in the middle is this whole little phrase, Take up your cross daily. And what does that mean? How do you begin to get your mind around that? You know, we have a little phrase that we like to say around here, or not around here, but in America type thing, maybe even around the world where you've heard, okay, well, everyone has a cross to what? To bear, okay? And so we use it against negative situations or, or struggles that we face or things that happen with us. We go, oh, everybody has a cross to bear. And, and we in a lot of ways, almost make this idea of a cross to be comfortable, to even take it away. But what you have to understand is when Jesus said this, the first century hearers knew what a cross was. When we hear the word cross today, we think of a picture of jewelry, maybe more so than anything. But in a first century world, when you heard the word cross, what'd you think of? Yeah the actual cross, the actual crucifixion. And so that is painful. That in essence is weakness because the only reason, you didn't have the strength to stand up to Rome, that's why you ended up on a cross because Rome was trying to say, no, we're stronger than you and you're weak and we've got you. That's the declaration that's happening in the whole experience of that. It's this sacrifice kind of way of living, and that's a challenge. And so as the disciples, early disciples, you're hearing Jesus say this, and and maybe it's throwing you for a loop a little bit. Take up your cross. Maybe this is the first inkling that Jesus begins to say, here's the way I'm going to demonstrate my love and my grace for you. It's a different way than what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm here to overthrow Rome, and it's gonna be a political upheaval. And Jesus is saying, no, this isn't about politics at all. This is about something so much deeper and so much bigger than you can even get your mind around. And he begins introducing this idea. See, here's what you knew about crucifixion, is you would carry the cross beam for miles yourself out to where they were gonna execute you. You literally carried it. And you had to walk to your own funeral, to your own death, sacrifice, weakness, humiliation. Those are some challenging things that Jesus begins introducing. Say, look, you've gotta introduce yourself this way. You've gotta begin to get your mind around this. Here's what Paul begins to pick up in 1 Corinthians. He's he's writing to the church there in Corinth, and he's laying out some ideas, some specifics about the gospel, and here's what he says 
because uh, we like to, we actually like to talk about grace a lot, and grace is necessary, and we need to talk about grace. But we need to talk about the cross as well, because the cross is actually how we get grace. And, and sometimes I've heard people say, well, we don't want to talk about the cross a whole lot. Like, isn't that like a bad you know, bad PR move. <laughs> you don't want to talk about the, the cross. We're trying to get people to Jesus. We're trying to get people to have a relationship with God. Let's not talk about the cross because that's like, that's bad. That's like dangerous. That's humiliation. That's, that's the way it is. See, Jesus took something that was the absolute worst and he flipped it upside down. So that today, when you and I talk about a cross, we think of grace, we think of love, we think of this incredible sacrifice that Jesus did for us. And the truth is, if you were in the first century, if you thought about the word cross, those words never entered your mind. Love was not a word you associated with the cross. But Jesus took a symbol of humiliation and weakness and he completely flipped it. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what he says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. God took something so weak and he switched it with his power. He made it so, something so strong and so significant. See, for many, the message of the gospel, that God came to earth in Jesus, and he died a death that you and I deserved, and he was raised to life that we can have a restored relationship with God through faith in him. That's the gospel message, as simple as I can make it. It's what the Bible says, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. It comes through a cross. We are given grace and hope eternal, but it came through a cross, something that was so drastic. And for a, a Jew and for a Greek, it was so demeaning. For, for a Jewish person to understand the cross in that context really struggled. And for a Greek mind that talked about this idea of, of strength and power, just this humiliation and weakness was something that you avoided. In fact, Paul continues to go on. He says, look, you gotta think about, I think that that's the beauty of of." the point of Jesus, and the point of what God was doing through the cross is he took something that was so drastically different than what you thought, and he flipped it on the end, and he made it something so much more powerful. He says this is foolishness at the cross. He goes on a couple verses down, verse 22. The Jews demanded miracle, miraculous signs, and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. We think it's figured out this way, and God says, no, 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 it's a whole different way. Who other than God, who could take a cross that, um, that represented such defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory? Who other than God could use a cross that represented guilt and he turned it into a symbol of grace? who other than God, who could take a cross who represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Who other than God, who could take a cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and hope? Who other than God, who could take the cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of life? Here's the beautiful part of the gospel. 
is that what God did through and in the cross, he can do for your life, friend. He can do for the the people of this city. That in the brokenness and maybe the shame that you feel or that some in this city feel, in in the, the desperate nature, in the hurts of where people are at, he can take those and flip them on end and what was something that represented darkness and and death to you can actually become part of your story that God can use to spread life to you and through you. What God did for the cross, he can do in people's lives, and you've seen it. Maybe you sit here and you've experienced it for yourself. You say, that's what God did for me. See, what seemed like foolishness, God says, my wisdom is so much greater than your foolishness. My strength is so much greater than your weakness. And actually, you're strong when you're weak. You actually are stronger when you live out of position of weakness, that you don't have it all together, and that you can't do it all on your own. And when you look and depend upon me, that's when you are made strong. See, the Bible actually has a long list. You look through the Old Testament, you look through people's lives, and you realize the brokenness of their own life, and yet God intersected their life, and he used them, and he changed them. That people in positions of great weakness were actually used in great strength to move God's story forward. Example after example after example. And friend, he can do that in your life. In fact, the Bible says that our strength comes when we realize our weakness, when we trust primarily in God's strength and not my own and what I can muster up and what I can do. I can work hard, you should. But if it's always depending upon you, then friend, what you eventually get to is realizing how weak you really are and how much you can't control and how much you can't do on your own. But when you would get to that place in humility and say, God, I need you, God pours in the power and allows us to experience life with him. It's like when uh, we go on vacation, right? And my kids are, uh, when they were little, they would love to see how much luggage they could pull to the room, right? And so they would get out, they'd love to do the suitcase with the wheels, because that was easiest, and then we'd stack stuff on it, and they would make their way to the room. And what I loved to do as a dad was to let them struggle with that a little bit, Uh, not because I'm mean or because I laughed, but simply because I wanted them to know how cool it was to have a dad who would just show up out of the blue and start picking stuff off and taking it and walking in front of them and letting them follow. I wanted them to know how cool it was to have a dad who actually noticed when you're struggling and who jumped in in those moments. It's the same way with God. That in those moments when we're struggling, when we have too much to carry, too much of a load to bear, it's in those moments when we will humble ourselves and say, God, I could really use your help today. I could really use your help this month, this season. Would you step in? And how I think God loves to answer that prayer, loves to come alongside people. When we let go of our need of control, our need uh, of comfort, our need uh, of saying all these things, when we let go of the way of comfort and we don't make that our top pursuit, when we say, God, I want to pursue and look after you, I wanna lean into this. I, I think Jesus loves to meet people in those moments. See, the way of comfort and the way of the cross, if we can boil down and begin to look at that a little bit more, take up your cross daily and follow me, 
What does that begin to look like in the 21st century? What does it begin to look like in your life on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, in my life in 2016? What does that begin to get your mind around? Because in a culture that loves to pursue and promote comfort at all cost, the way of the cross is so drastically different than that. It actually bristles against us. That's why when we hear things sometimes, we talk about sacrifice. We talk about like actually choosing to have less comfort so you could do more for God's cause. Like that, that's just weird. Like we hear that and go, that's not right. Because in our culture, what we're pushed for is you've got to pursue comfort at all costs. And when you get it, you've got to do everything to protect it. And so we have this pursuit going on in our own life. The struggle with this is I don't think that comfortable Christianity was the foremost concern of our crucified Christ. Let me say that again. I don't think comfortable Christianity was the foremost concern for our crucified Christ. I think what Jesus began to model and what he began to say is not a theme and it wasn't a PR move. It was actually challenging. I think that's why these DTRs that we see in scripture a couple different times, we'll look at one again next week as we wrap up this series. These define the relationship moments is Jesus was looking for people who would say, okay, I'm done being a fan and I'm ready to be a follower. And friends, it's like when you draw a line in the sand right? And sometimes you draw a line in the sand in different scenarios, and what you ask in those moments is, am I willing to step over this line and go this way? Am I willing to call people to step over that line to go this way? And in those moments, I think Jesus is drawing the line in the sand, and he's saying, look, I love having admirers. Remember? That's how we define fan, enthusiastic admirer. Those are great. I love people. But what I'm looking for is followers, people who are willing to step over the line. What does that begin to look like? Well, I think it begins to take on a couple of different shapes. Um, you know, I think fans, in a lot of ways, if we're talking about moving from fan to follower, I think fans are able to settle into comfort zones really easy. I think followers follow Jesus into growth zones. <clears throat> and they don't settle in to just being comfortable. I, I think they answer the call and challenges at times. I, I think they, they step up and step forward, and this isn't about earning your salvation. This isn't about earning love with God. You have that through Jesus, plain and simple, period, dotted, that's it. Jesus said, I love you, period. But I want you to follow me. This is everyone, but this is everything. This is step across the line and let's go on an adventure where I'm gonna challenge you in different areas of your life and I'm wanting to know if you'll respond to that, if you'll actually step up to that. Not to earn anything or to get some secret knowledge or something, but simply because you're with me and you wanna be where I am. And the way of the cross is the way Jesus took. Jesus didn't preach in a way that would make everybody comfortable. He didn't talk about things or avoid talking about things that would keep everyone comfortable. The way Jesus preached, listen, got him killed. That's how that happened. He wasn't killed because he was just a nice guy. 
he pushed back against the systems of the world he was in and spiritually began to challenge people who didn't want to be challenged. And when Jesus was preaching, when Jesus was teaching, and he was a miracle worker, he was a healer, he did amazing teaching, he did amazing things. But in the end, as he began to claim, hey, I am something more than just a nice guy. I'm something more than just a miracle worker. I'm actually the God who's come to save you, and you need saving. And sometimes people don't like to hear that. But in the end, for those who say yes, see, the cross is foolishness to some. But to those who are being saved, it's what? The power of God released in your life. You begin to see and experience life in crazy ways. Friends, I I wrote this as the bottom line. Jesus is more interested in getting you into a growth zone than a comfort zone. Jesus is much more interested in getting his followers today and even fans to consider being followers to say, would you go in with me on an adventure into a growth zone where we're gonna grow your faith and we're gonna work toward this versus just letting you stay comfortable? And that's hard in our culture that loves comfort at all costs. That's a challenge and it creates this weird tension within us. You feel it right now. As you sit there going, I don't know, preacher dude. I don't know what that means. What are, you, what are you asking me to do? Well, can I suggest a couple things that I think each of us have to wrestle with? And the first one is this. I think to, to go into a growth zone with Jesus means that we begin to look at life, uh, begin to see life through a second place self. And here's what I mean. A second place self. In our culture, We are almost brought up teaching that it's all about you. And that everything's about you, everything should be about you. In fact, anything that's not about you should really cut that out. You should make it about you. And you should pursue what you want and all those kind of things. And listen, there's a lot of truth in that. I don't think Jesus wants you to be in a job that you hate. Quit tomorrow, okay? Pursue something that you love. If you can't quit tomorrow, that's okay. Start thinking about something else then. I think what Jesus is really pushing us to is the second place self says, it's not about me. It's not about my values and my priorities and my my concerns and my thoughts all the time. Those are factored in and God is definitely concerned with those things for you, friends, and for me. But a second place self means I'm not the pinnacle of everything I'm doing in life. A second place self begins to see, God, what do you value? God, what are your priorities? What do you have to say about the things around me in this world? And how would I begin to aim my life toward those? And maybe my desires and my dreams can actually begin to mesh into those because you have good plans for me. You have good dreams for me. But when we begin to make it all about us, then it's almost like we're taking God on a joy ride through our life. And we put him in the back seat and we say, we're driving, we're going. You comfortable back there, Jesus? Instead of Jesus saying, no, no, <clears throat> here's how it works best. You give me the keys, you let me drive, you can ride shotgun, but it's a second place self and we're gonna drive this life, and I'm actually gonna take you on adventures that yes, will stretch you, 
yes, will challenge you, but you'll wake up years from now and it'll be the best possible life. But you gotta hand me the keys. You've gotta go with me. This isn't me just tagging along in a suitcase on your adventure. This is me orchestrating and hand-making adventures for you, for your character development, for your skill sets to shine, for your dreams to flourish, for your abilities to come forth and to make a difference in this world beyond you. If your dreams are only about your dreams and about what's good for your life, friend, you are not dreaming big enough. You're not. And I want you to dream bigger. I want us as a church to dream bigger. To say this, this is a movement of Jesus that I think he wants us on and it starts with saying, okay God, you got first chair, I'll take second. You got the driver's seat, I'll ride shotgun. And we'll begin to figure out what that begins to look like. So here's some questions I wrote down to begin thinking about for yourself. How is God asking you to take a second place to some adventures that he's been putting on your heart and in your mind. He's been stirring it within you, but you've been kind of pushing it off because it doesn't fit in your agenda. It doesn't fit in your calendar or your adventure of where you think your life's supposed to be in this season. How is God asking you to seek his wisdom in some things? Are you making decisions about your life and about the seasons of your life, but you're not involving and asking his wisdom and his discernment for those things? Is he first place First priority. And only you can answer that. Only I can answer that for myself. Begin to challenge yourself. The second thing is this. For us to move into more of a growth zone versus a comfort zone, I think Jesus wants to call us to sacrificial living. To sacrificial living. Here's what I mean by that. In our culture, a culture all about comfort, comfort has no limits. The pursuit of comfort has no limits. It's limitless of what we're supposed to aim our life to. But I think as a follower of Jesus, not just a fan, there are times when his early disciples, there were times when Jesus modeled this, there were times when his disciples and his disciples throughout the centuries have been challenged to say, will you limit some of your comfort in order to move the kingdom cause of Jesus forward? Will you place some limits on yourself and your comfort? You can have comfort, you should. You can enjoy that, but will you limit it a little bit so that you can move the cause of the kingdom of Jesus and his movement forward in life? Will you begin to look at things in a different way? Can we leverage your time where it's not just all about you? What would it be like to leverage your voice to begin to show up in the conversations that you have around you and begin to say, okay, I'm gonna actually start talking about God more in my conversations around work, around school. And yet, you know what? That's gonna limit some of your comfort. Because when you do that, it may create some weird dynamics, wouldn't it? It could. You may face this idea of rejection or a little setback or discomfort. But what would it be to begin to leverage that? What would begin to begin to leverage some of your resources to say, you know, I'm not gonna just keep accumulating stuff but I'm actually gonna leverage these resources to move God's church, to move his kingdom forward in the lives of people and changing their life. What would it look like to begin to leverage your time and not just make all the time about your agenda, but actually begin to serve 
and to step into serving in moments uh, around here and around the city and around places at work, begin to step in to serve in a way where you're doing it to bless people, to let them know that God actually notices them, that God actually knows their name, and he's actually for them. What would it begin to challenge, to say to us individually, God, I wanna be second place and I wanna begin to experiment with what does it mean to sacrifice and limit some of my comfort so I can move your kingdom forward. That's the challenge that I think Jesus is laying out when he says take up your cross and follow me. So here's the invitation as we get ready to take a a time of communion and I'm gonna pray for us in a moment and we're gonna have a time of communion, a couple worship songs and I'm just gonna invite you in this moment before we do that is to begin to have a conversation, you and God a little space to think about. As you hold that bread, as you hold that cup, to remember his sacrifice for you. He limited his comfort so that I might have life, that you might have life. That we might enjoy the comfort of fellowship with him for now and forever. Because he set some limits up for himself. So what would it look like in your season of life, wherever you're at, to begin to say, okay, how do I I become more second place and not first place? Am I out of alignment with that? And what would it look like to take a next step into sacrificial living, to begin to, to limit a little bit of my comfort pursuit in order to move God's kingdom forward and move his cause forward? Maybe wrestle with those couple of questions. So Father, I thank you that um, for the modeling and the teaching of Jesus, what he calls us to, it's challenging. It's not easy. And I think those moments in particular, like the one we look at uh, next week, when those moments where Jesus is defining the relationship and so many people walk. But in the end, Jesus is more concerned about followers than fans. Each one of us here has a moment for us to decide. And so as we ponder and think about what does it look like to take up our cross daily and follow you? What does it look like to begin to live the way of the cross and not just settle for the way of comfort? and what our world says. How does that begin to look like in each season of our lives to maybe limit our comfort a little bit, to move your cause forward, to take a second chair approach to living? Each one of us needs a different assignment with that. So would you, Holy Spirit, speak into our lives? We thank you for Jesus and for his sacrifice, shedding his blood, giving of his life, that we might have life in and through you. Thank you for taking the cross, the symbol of humiliation and weakness, and flipping it, that it's the demonstration of the power of God alive for those of us aligning our life with Jesus. Would you speak to us in this worship time as we close tonight? Amen.